Welcome to The Remix, the video podcast that keeps you in the mix of everything real estate. I am Noelle Fryson and... I'm Eric Anderson and welcome. And today we're going to talk about secrets. No. No, we're talking, oh, we talking, we're about? talking about the drug of real estate. Oh. And what okay. are you addicted to? What gets you? What just has you fiending? All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things. However, today we're talking about real estate. So because I love everybody out there, I'm going to share with you the secret to my sauce about real estate. Not everybody at this table shares their secrets with their friends that are out there. But I am going to give you my what secret. What secret are we keeping from you? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. But anyway, the, the <laughs> secret, the drug, what's pumping in my veins is, and the secret to my success in real estate is value-added properties. Value-added properties. So wait, what is a value-added property? Oh, well, that's easy. So if you see my shirt here, right? <clears throat> okay. You add up the numbers. When you add up the pieces, they equal a bigger value. Got it? That's why I wore the shirt today for value-added. <laughs> <laughs> so you take something and you buy it, it's worth X. You do Y and Z, and now it's worth... I should have done that differently. X plus Y equals Z, right? So you add pieces to it and then it makes something else. So what we're saying is you buy a building and it has two tenants in it that are paying X amount of dollars. And then you make space for another tenant. And so now you're getting more money and now it's worth more amount of money. How did you know that? Well, because you anyway, told me that yesterday. But <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be just a building, but we'll get okay. to that. Why don't you introduce our power panel? Yes, we have our power panel, guys. So as always, we have our VP of Alexander Anderson Capital Group, our flipper extraordinaire, our investor guru, Omar Sharif. Thank you. And wait a minute. This is exciting. We have our very own celebrity, right? Adam Sperber. Oh, me. Adam. Yes, we just heard that our very own Adam Sperber, the VP of Residential Real Estate at Alexander Anderson Real Estate Group, was just named by Bergen Magazine as one of the top uh, top real estate agents. You are top. You are in the top three percent. Top three percent in Bergen County. Yes. Top three percent. Thank you. I would say you're in the top three percent of everywhere. But oh, well, that's nice. Does that mean you're tall? That. That does, yeah. That means I'm tall. No, um, it, they do it based off of uh, sales volume and the amount of transactions that you did throughout. You know, throughout. I don't think it's just Bergen County. I think it's um, it's Bergen Magazine that named it, but it's anywhere in New Jersey, really. Wow. So you are the top. He is the top of the top of the in top. of the top. He is the top three percent um, in New Jersey. That's amazing. Amazing. But my question is. Why the top three? Like you, for me, you're always number one. What's the deal? I know I'm your number one. Um, <clears throat> you know, really, honestly, the the main thing is, look, it's it's all about um, just taking care of your clients. That's okay. that's number one. Just first and foremost. You know, it's great. I'm I'm really excited to have been nominated and to be you know featured in their magazine and all of that. But to me, it's really just about doing the right thing. You know, and I and I tell people this. I say, I, to me, it doesn't matter if you buy property one or property number thirty. All I care about is that you're happy with what you buy. Mm -hmm. So I don't really, you know, look at it as like a way of, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to be nominated. But on the same side of things, you know, to me, it's just the normal course of business. I'm not doing this to get nominated. I'm doing this to take care of my clients and do the right thing. And 
So are you saying that you don't focus on being number one? You focus on taking care of your clients? I want to take care of my clients. I want my clients to be number one. Wow. I love that one. So we have Adam Sperber who is gracing us with his presence. So no, your number in the top three, that's right. Anyway, so let's get to let's get to the big secret. Added. Omar, tell us your secret <laughs> to value added properties. Um, secrets to real estate. So there's a few different types of value add secrets. Um, the most basic most people are familiar with is rehabbing. It's when you buy something, you fix it because it's in disrepair, and you increase its value and you sell it. Um, but the other secret that Eric can probably shed more light on is in commercial real estate. Mm. And that's when you buy something, you don't necessarily have to spend a ton of money fixing it, but you can increase rents. And if you increase rents, the property value increases. And um, then you can refinance and cash your money back out. Exactly. So the big secret, <clears throat> always buy a value-added property. So with residential, when you're buying a house, a lot of people don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to buy something that they have to fix. I never, ever, ever bought anything that didn't have to be manipulated or fixed or changed. So to me, if it needs to be manipulated, fixed, changed, that's called a value add. Who's adding that value? I am. <clears throat> There's two reasons that I do this. One, <clears throat> recession proof, right? We're going into a recession. Maybe, maybe not. Everybody's talking about it today. Everybody's t concerned, number two, about whether or not we're in a housing bubble. So let's say you go out and you buy a brand new perfect house. Mm -hmm. How are you making that worth more money? What are you doing to fix it? How are you making it special? So you buy it for a million and then the stock market crashes and the recession hits. The, and the, bur rise, the bubble burst. <clears throat> the bubble burst. All of a sudden that million dollars is worth what? A lot less. So it goes down to <laughs> $700,000, right? Let's say you take that same property <clears throat> And, you know, as Omar does in a lot of his flips, he buys something for $500,000 that needs a new kitchen, needs new bathrooms. <clears throat> now, you're not necessarily buying this to flip it, but you're buying it to keep it. Now, all of a sudden, he does that. He puts in $200,000. That property in today's market goes from five hundred dollars with a 200-number addition, so that's a seven hundred dollars cost. It's now worth a million dollars, right? The bubble bursts. Boom. Right. The secret is out. Real estate sucks, right? Huh? So the bubble bursts. <clears throat> What happens? Your property now, instead of being worth a million, is now worth maybe seven or 750. So in this new scenario, what happened? You, <clears throat> you still broke make even. Money. Yeah, you're still fine. <clears throat> you're still fine, you're still good. In scenario one, where you bought that perfect house, you just lost $300,000. Right. You know, you're, you're essentially, if you buy, a, let, let's say a single family house, you buy it, it has beautiful countertops and stainless appliances and you know it's fully decked out and it's absolutely beautiful you are paying a premium for somebody else's work mm -hmm. yeah. so so they just like your example they might have put two hundred thousand dollars into that house but you're paying a three hundred thousand dollar premium for that work wouldn't you rather buy it at 500 do the work yourself and now you have sweat equity you have I, a little bit of equity in the house i have to say guys these gentlemen practice what they preach so um, Adam and I, because everyone knows I'm looking for this house that I haven't gotten because everyone keeps on beating me out with cash offers, but that's fine. So Adam and I were looking at a total fixer-upper. Like, I was looking to add a whole story to it, and Eric was like, do it. 
do it, do it, do it. He was like, you buy it for that low number in a town that I completely want to be in, and then you make it your own. And that's the same thing Adam said. He was like, then the kitchen will be just the way I want the kitchen. The bathrooms will have all of the things the that I want the bathrooms to have. I can make a whole wing for just adults and keep the kids locked up somewhere. It was going to be perfect. That should be locked up somewhere. I think, I think we need to specify what you mean by that. Don't I don't want typhus to come. You don't <laughs> but but you, you what I'm saying is that they practice what they preach. Even in real life, this was the advice that they were giving me. And, and that's the thing. We were looking at a lot of houses, and to get what you were looking for in budget, mm -hmm. you it, it makes more sense for you to buy, like lack of a better term, like a shitty house that needs updating in an yep. area that you like. And then you put in the second floor. You put in, you redo the kitchen. You open up walls, and you put yep. in a few hundred thousand dollars. Put in the pool that I want. Put in the pool that you want, that, mm -hmm. that we all want you to get so we can come over. <laughs> But then what's going to happen is now you're going to have the perfect house mm -hmm. in the best location. You're going to be below market value of what you actually paid for it. You can literally pick out the fixtures, the paint color, the wood color, everything. To the and table. while you're doing all that and stressing over it, you're adding value and protecting your, your bottom line. So right. forget, again, when the markets change, <clears throat> if the markets change, you're always protected. Um, it's also great because one way that we talk about building wealth is through leveraging. Mm -hmm. Okay. So leveraging is taking money out of something and putting it into something else. So me, for instance, let's say I have 10 properties that I have leveraged and I've gotten to that 10th property by leveraging them all, right? If I did that on properties that were perfect, okay, those million dollar numbers that I didn't have to do any value add to, and I pulled out all that available cash to do that, God forbid the market crashed all of a sudden now, uh, uh, everything that I have could potentially be underwater, and that leveraged 10 property ladder could just crumble in front of me and fall apart, okay? If I do that through value-added properties, I'm buying those things at that 500 mark, creating the value, getting them to that million-dollar mark, then taking out some cash, I'm always below um, my threshold of danger, okay? Yeah, there's still risks there, but it's a much lesser risk. You're creating a, a much less lesser... Um, potential issue, and then when you leverage that and you get to that 10th property, at least you know that your leverage is built on your wealth or your equity build, the stuff that you've created, not built on a, a potential market. So you, so what you're saying, <coughs> what I'm hearing is that you can do the cash out refi with value add. It doesn't have to be a complete, you know, crappy thing that you're completely re rebuilding from the stuts up. Hundred percent, and and um, I know Omar, who does a ton of flips, yeah, has right. uh, a couple flips that he's kept for himself. Yeah, why don't you share how how that worked out and why so, you kept those? So when you when you say cash out refi, that's that's the Burr method, mm -hmm. right? So the Burr. Oh, don't you teach a class on the Burr method? I, I heard it's really at, good. At it's amazing. Center for education. So. At the Center for Real <laughs> Estate <laughs> Education. And he'll share with you all his secrets or most of his secrets. Recareercenter.com. So I do. I teach a class and exactly how to do that, how to buy a property, fix it, cash out, refi, and get your money back out. So um, that's a really good technique. And in terms of value add, you can also do that to single family homes. So mm -hmm. why, why did you pick those two properties that you kept that I know about out of all of the, the mm -hmm. uh, you know, tons and tons of flips that you've done? What made you decide to keep those? What was your value add strategy there? Sure. Well, did you keep them to rent them or did you keep them just to yeah, have? That's, that's exactly okay. it. So um, in New Jersey, my rule of thumb is if you come across a two-family that's discounted, two families, three families, any multi-units, if they're discounted and you, you and you are able to buy it, you keep it and you rent it. You add it to your rent it, buy and hold portfolio. 
Um, single families, I don't like to use them as investments. In New Jersey, the rental numbers just don't work. So that's why I kept it. I kept it because I could have made a great profit by selling it, but it made more sense to keep it and add as a rental. So mm -hmm. what does that do to you over time? So you're saying if you had sold it, you would have just made one big bam. Yeah. But if you keep it, then you're getting constant income. Constant income, yeah. So the numbers were pretty solid on this one deal um, out of many. There's many of these deals out there. But uh, if I would have sold it, the gross profit would have been 150000 Okay. And it's tempting to do that. It's an easy flip. I was in and out. Um, but if I would have kept it, I could have refinanced the property, gotten all my money back out, and now I keep it as a long-term hold. And you have nothing or close to nothing invested. Nothing in, invested into out of pocket. Yeah. So most people, when they buy rentals, they'll put down twenty five percent because that's how much the bank will require. But if you use the Burr method, you could buy a property. You have to buy it cash or through hard money, refinance it, and get all of your money back. So now you own the property. It has a mortgage on it, but you have little to no money invested into the deal. And your tenants are covering the mortgage plus profit. So you get plus profit. profit. Yeah. And you have limited risk. Very limited. Yeah. So the key is, again, finding a property that you could value add to and deciding whether or not you want to keep it, sell it, or rent it. And this is, this is something similar. So I was just talking with somebody. Um, <clears throat> I have a, a first-time home buyer that I'm helping, and they're doing, they came to me, and they're doing exactly what I, I wish I did when I bought my house. Mm -hmm. So I bought my house seven years ago. And as, you know, I, it, it's great that I bought my, my home, I'm living there and everything like that, but what, what, what I think would have been the best way to go about it was to buy a two family, buy a three family. Maybe it's not exactly what I want to live in forever. Buy it, put down as little as possible because now I can get an owner occupied loan because I'm living there or FHA loan. Yeah. You can put down three and a half percent on a $700,000 house. It's going to cost you 20 grand, 20, $22,000. Now I live there for whatever's required. I believe it's a year. So I live there for a year or a year and a half, whatever's required by FHA guidelines. After that, now I can move out and I can rent it out and I'm, I'm not doing anything wrong, and now I can go get my single-family house that I want. And now I have it in property that I've only, I only put 20 grand down. Yeah. It's a great strategy. It, this is what I think yeah. people should do, and I, looking back, I wish I did this on my first property. Had I, had I thought about this seven years ago, I would have done it, but this is what a lot that of people should do. That was before you had kids, too, so that yep. was the perfect time to perfect do something time. like I, that. Perfect time. I could have I moved back home if I needed to temporarily. Mm -hmm. Like that's the When yeah. you're buying your first property, look at these multifamilies. Anything less than a four-family is gonna allow you to do that because it's gonna count as a uh, residential property. So if you get a five family or above, you're gonna have to use a commercial loan typically. It's a great way to start, great way to build wealth. And, and once again, you have 20 or 30 grand. All you have to do is if you can save up that 20 or 30 grand, now you can buy your forever home and you have an investment property that you can leave to your children or, or yeah. retirement or whatever it is. Yeah, that's actually one of the best ways to build wealth in real estate, yeah. using that tactic. So again, secret, the secret value add. So I'm gonna give you an example, um, commercial example. I bought a property a couple years back, um, <clears throat> bought the property for $700,000. It was, it had three properties on the premise. It had five residential tenants. It had three, uh, re three, uh, three office slash retail tenant spaces. So um, the rent roll, rent roll was pretty low. The building was quasi maintained. Um, <clears throat> What everybody needs to understand is the way you value a commercial property is usually based on the cash flow that it brings. Now, when I say a commercial property with cash flow, that means if it's an investment-oriented property. If it's a single tenant, let's say it's a, a single store, and you're occupying that, um, that's not going to be valued when you sell it 
because that new person who's going to buy that is probably going to move in and take that space. This is more geared towards if it's multiple tenants where you're not really occupying it, someone else is occupying it, and you're collecting rents. So the space or the value of that property is based on the profit that you make on that property. So if you take a property <coughs> that has $10,000 a month rent, and you're able to manipulate that and bring it to $20,000 a month rent, you've just doubled the value of your property. Mm. And what you need to understand is that can happen overnight. Okay, so everybody's talking about how long it takes to make money or what do they have to do to get these big wins. Um, <clears throat> I took this property for $700,000, manipulated it by changing out the five residential tenants, maximizing their leases, tweaking the apartments, to flipping some of the tenants out. The commercial spaces that, that were there, they were all empty. So I cleaned them up, I fixed them, I rented them all for high dollar. That property was worth, uh, within four months, it went from 710000 to almost $1.8 million. Yes. Okay, within four months. So now what are my options, right? I can refinance. Uh -huh. What happens when I refinance? I can take anywhere from 60 to 75%, depending on the bank and depending on the property, out. Okay. So you can so, basically take that whole $700,000 that it was remember, worth. Remember, I bought it for seven. Right. right. Who's got a calculator on them? Anybody? So <laughs> I bought it. I don't do math. Okay. I bought it for 700000 So let's say we needed to put down 25%. So give me 25% of 700000 So I needed 170000 plus let's throw in like another fifty for carrying costs, blah, so blah, blah. 225. So I'm at $225,000. I needed $225,000 to buy this property, right? Now, with all of the work I just did, I now have a value of $1.8 million. Okay? Give me the 70%. I got sorry. Give me 30. Give me 70% of 1.8 million. Uh, 257,000. No, 70% of 1.8. Yeah, that would that would make more sense. Not 30%. 1.26. 1.26. So you subtract the 220, right? Mm -hmm. From the 1.26 and you have $1,040,000. So, I now have the ability or just got the ability to to make a, a million take out of to take cash of a million forty thousand, one million forty thousand dollars. I can take that tax free, and I could go do whatever the heck I want with that. That's because I bought a value added property, and it was because I was able Ooh. to manipulate the rents, okay, or manipulate the situation. So, okay, so let's back up here. Yes. First, let's just make sure that everyone understands the difference between residential and commercial, just really quickly. So everyone out there, I'm sure you guys know, but I'm just gonna say, commercial is? Anything that you technically don't live in, and uh, even though a, a three-family house could be a commercial property, but I would say something you more buy for an investment purpose or a use for a business, I would say. So retail space, uh, office space, uh, restaurant space, things like that, warehouses. Land. Land, okay. And then residential is? Well, I mean, from a depends. From a lender stance, they look at it as anything less than four units and anything that does not have a commercial aspect. So okay. if you have three units plus you have a, a retail shop on the main level, that's going to be commercial. But if you have four units and there's no retail um, component to it, that's gonna be considered, you can get a residential loan on that. Okay, so your forever home, your vacation home, condos, co-ops. All of that. Apartments, things like Single that. Single family houses, wh whatever it might be. Okay, so we know, so can you only, you can, <clears throat> this is really for, for commercial, correct? No, value add, 
the secret of value add <laughs> applies to both residential yeah. and commercial. Okay. Right. So when we were talking about Noel buying a house, that could even be value. Noel was buying this house to live in. Okay. What's let's say Noel decides that she's moving to California tomorrow and she needs to sell this house. Let's say the market tanked. Mm -hmm. If she bought a full priced home, she would and the market tanked, she would have to just accept that loss. If she had bought a value added home, added that value, worst case scenario, I'd again, be okay. there's lots of caveats, but worst case scenario is she would break even and she could still move. And instead of making money, she would just break even. Everybody's okay breaking even. It's people don't want to take a loss. So how do they find these value added properties? That's a good, good question. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's really the secret, the real secret behind all of these deals because- um, What is find, your secret? Tell us. So finding these deals, it, it requires a lot of work. Um, commercial deals and residential deals I think are very different. And the bottom line is you have to find distressed off-market properties. Most people who are in the retail market, if you're working your full-time job, you won't have time to find these properties. Um, so you have to be in it to win it. I mean, that's the motto. And it, it, re it requires understanding your local market, where you can find people who, who are motivated to sell houses that, need, that are distressed, and really getting your hands, rolling up your sleeves and, and digging for these deals. So if you are a real estate agent and yeah. you are a realtor and you belong to the MLS, you're gonna mm -hmm. look on the MLS for, uh, no, you're not? So not in this market. I would say about 10 years ago when we were, we were coming out of the foreclosure crisis, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there was lots of market, homes being listed that were distressed and potentials for investments. But in this market, good luck finding anything that's not that doesn't have like five offers on it. So are you gonna look for off-market properties? As a realtor, you have to look for off-market off properties. As, as you're driving down the street, you see a dilapidated, you see yeah. a house that's fallen apart, look into it. Don't be afraid to either knock on the door, pull the tax records, find out who owns it, mm -hmm. where they live. They might not even live there. You don't know the situation. It could be yeah. a vacant house. And don't be afraid to keep chasing it. If someone says to you, oh, I already checked with that and it didn't go anywhere. Every person is different. There's things yep. that I can do that Omar can't do. There's mm -hmm. things that Omar can do that I can't do. There's things that Adam can do that none of us can do. Yeah. You never know who's going to be able to accomplish something. And that's why it's good to have networks of people. We're going to talk about networking at some point where you can throw ideas around <clears throat> because um, there's different ways to approach a problem or there's different ways to approach a property or there's different ways to approach an idea. And when you have that ability to talk to people, it's brainstorming and it gets you in. And one of the ways <clears throat> that, that I've trained myself over the years was to try to step back from a situation and look at it from multiple angles, okay? Um, just like when someone takes a picture, right? The big thing now is, at least in my house, is all the women are always getting their picture taken for Instagram. And you have to put the camera at this angle and they have to pose this way. And that's, yeah, that's, for that's, me, that's. I make sure that it's up high so I look thinner. But exactly, that's the same premise. <laughs> Don't look at the property from your regular standing point. Bend down and sit on the floor and look at it. <laughs> Stand up on the roof of the neighbor's building and look at it. Look mm -hmm. at it from different angles. Take, take your mind out of what you think it is and look at it and see what it can be. Okay, so uh, another example, that one property that I was telling you about with the value add also happened to be next to a hospital. Okay, so now you're looking at something and you're saying, what can I do or who can I talk to at this hospital to get them interested in, in wanting this property to expand their campus? Mm. That person who was selling it before may never have thought of that. Okay, or let's say you're dealing- Then they're not that bright if they're right next to a hospital. You'd be surprised. People don't think of things. Sorry if you're out there listening. Especially <laughs> when it's your day-to-day. -day. If you're in that 
visual day-to-day and you're seeing that same property day-to-day, you have to really train yourself to step out of the box. You have to step out of the box and look at it from different angles. And once you do that... So what characteristics are we looking for when we're looking for these properties? Show me, tell me, what, what, am, I, what am I going around and looking for? <clears throat> you said look for places that are, look distressed from the outside. Even in your own neighborhood, yeah. You're, you drive around your own streets, you, you know, where you live. You see a house that looks distressed. Find out the situation. Look into it. Don't, and once again, don't be afraid to knock on the door and find out what's going on. I do this all, I just did this yesterday in, uh, for a buyer. He was interested in buying an off-market house. He said, hey, can you go take a look at it? Went, knocked on the door, had a great conversation with the guy. You just can't be afraid to think outside the box. What's the worst that they're going to tell you? No. Right. And then you're back where you are now. What are you doing for commercial properties? You're not knocking on doors, are you? Absolutely. Stalking people. One one time, I actually sat. Eric is the stalker. I couldn't get get in touch with this, this property that I wanted. And it was a it was an obvious value add property. Why? Because it looked like it was falling down. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I couldn't get in touch with anybody. So I knew that there was life there because I had seen lights change or things change. So one day I just said, screw this, I'm gonna camp out here. And I literally parked my car in front of the building and I sat there for three hours. Lo and behold, I see some little old man come walking into the building. And you have to be ready to jump. You can't fall asleep. Oh and I jumped God, out of my car. Did you give car. him a heart attack? <laughs> well, you have to be careful. He's like, but ah. Literally, as the guy's closing the door, it's almost like the movies where you stick your foot in the door. I literally got him to talk to me. Do you own that building? I do, I do own that building today. Nice. Yeah, so, that's the way you but, do uh, it. It's part of that visual visualization technique that we talk about, that if you visualize it, you can own it. But very, so, very important. Are you looking also for if you see a tenant in there, you see retail in there, and you know that the area needs so other many type of retail? So, for instance, let's say you're looking at a retail building that has three storefronts, okay? And you see that that building's for sale. It doesn't have to be something that's hidden, it could be right out there, all right? So, all three of us, all four of us, see that there's a retail building that has three tenants, okay? I'm sorry, it has three storefronts. Okay, but it only has two tenants. One tenant is renting two of the storefronts. The other tenant is renting another one. But remember, I said the word three storefronts. Okay, you go and you talk to the seller. You find out, oh, the lease that's in the storefront with the two is due. It's coming due or it's expiring in six months. Okay, everybody should be saying, well, what's the market? Because now... Well, what's the, market? Person, what's, the right. market? what's the market? Well, well, let's say that market is saying that you can double the rent on that guy. Okay? Or not only that, you could take that and convert it back to two storefronts, now giving you three storefronts in total. And so when you, you have more, more tenants, that with smaller spaces, you usually can charge more money than if you have tenants with larger spaces. Because the smaller a space, the more valuable it is per square foot. So now by doing that, you've just figured out a way where you can buy this property Mm -hmm. and once you own it, you can kick out that tenant or you can tweak the scenario where you get the tenant to move into half of it, rent that other middle section. Now you have three tenants. Maybe you gained three or $4,000 a month on that income, or maybe you gained 20% on that income. We can all tell (coughs) that this is a topic that really excites you. You are like, he is so energized (laughs) for this one. So energized for this one. So what kind of improvements do you usually make? Um, It could be anything, and it doesn't have to, it really doesn't even have to be an improvement. So there's two types of improvements. It doesn't have to be an improvement? So you just buy it and you tell people, hey, I bought this, 
I'm the bomb. Now I'm going to charge you more just because I'm me. Yes. Or because they're they're below market value and you yes. realize that. <laughs> yes. So an improvement, there's there's really two, maybe three types of improvements. So I'm going to leave leave that out there for you guys to come up with a third, but I'm going to give the first two. First type of improvement is physical, right? So if you lose 50 pounds in your body, let's just say, in theory, you've just improved your look, right? Okay, if you've gained health, yeah. muscle, you've just improved your look, right? That's a physical change, okay? Second type of improvement, we're gonna call like a monetary, or like an emotional improvement. Like if you change your outlook on life, that's an emotional improvement. If you've been able to raise the price of that income, that rental income, if you put a new tenant in there and you're getting $10,000 a month more, that's a monetary, monetary improvement. improvement. So that's not, you haven't touched anything. You haven't done anything. You haven't put a screw in. You haven't nailed something on the wall. You haven't changed the paint. You haven't done anything. So can you guys come up with a third? Is it a secret? No, I'm, I'm asking. <laughs> really? What is it? Um, is there a third? No, so physical is rehabbing, renovating the conditions. Right. right. Financial is increasing the rent. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. Which increases the property value. The third one is... Hmm. Repositioning the oh, combining lots. There you go. What do you mean combining what do you mean? lots? So combining we always lots. talked about looking outside of the box. Okay, has anyone seen a new building go up recently somewhere in in the in the country? Right, you have an older town where you have five little storefronts next to each other with five different owners. Mm -hmm. Okay, you can take those five different owners and you can put all of them together. So now you've repositioned or you've assembled something. You haven't really increased the value so of wait, it. So wait, do you do you that by selling anything. it? We're gonna get there. You've put it together and you've made like a combined force. So in theory, you've made a bigger parcel of land, which now as a bigger parcel of land, the value has just increased. So wait, wait does that entail you having to buy multiple buildings? It would. It would. Yes. Or houses. Or, or houses, houses. Yeah. Or, or whatever it may be. Or, or even plots of land. Or even subdividing the land. Example, yeah. Disney World in California, right? He didn't just wake up one day and have all this property. Walt Disney had to go and piece each property together. Okay, and when he did that and made this massive campus, now he was able to build something on it that he, that he wanted to do to make a lot of money. Same difference. If you're on a main street, any main street town that you're in, you see all the little old small buildings. What the hell can you do with those? You can't build a 10-story building on this little small piece of property, okay? But if you're smart enough to figure out how to go and talk to all those people, put it together, and then figure out what to do with it, okay? That's a way to make more money with a, without actually doing anything. So you guys are making this seem like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, that quick fix that you need. But what are some of the risks? There must be risks. So, so that's a good example of assembling lots, but I could give you an example of uh, someone who did it recently. I came, did it well or? They did it well. Okay. Really well. So um, I had a deal that was sent over to me as a rehab, buy, fix, and sell. I, d I ran the numbers. It didn't make any sense. A um, few months passed by, and one of the investors who was also looking at the property reached out to me and said that they invested in that deal, and the person who bought it combined that property with the property right next to it. There were two small lots, 25 by 100, 25 by 100. And it happened to be in a city that was going through a lot of development. So they combined the lots, it had two houses on it. They went to the city, they got approvals to see what they could build on now this 50 by 100 lot. Mm -hmm. Once they got the approvals, they were all in it for about 500 grand or so. They sold it for 950 grand 
in, within six months. And they didn't even build anything? They didn't build- Just it, with approvals. But it did cost them, I believe, about 50 grand to go through that whole process. But they made $400,000 yeah. off of it, so. Yeah. So the risk there is what if the town says no? That risk but is they so did their, mitigated that, yeah, it's not- They did their risk. homework ahead yeah. of time. It's, the risk is you may not have money to go through the process, but the town, you would know beforehand what the town would approve, mm -hmm. and you would literally have no risk. Or you just buy the properties with a contingency that you're not gonna close until the town approves something. Mm. So that actually brings us to, to a fourth um, one. So we talked about again. So oh, there was fourth. Well, I wasn't sure if there was three or four, but I think we're at four because the third and fourth are similar. But so again, we have the physical change. We have the cash income change. We have the <clears throat> added to bigger pieces, create a bigger parcel change. And then what Omar just touched on was going to a town so we're going to call that the fourth option, which is a zoning change, okay? If mm. you take a piece of property, all right, for instance, everybody's excited in New Jersey about this new um, cannabis program mm -hmm. that everybody can go out and buy weed in the state of New Jersey and smoke it, right? Actually, have you seen on Route, I don't know if it's uh, 4, it's 17, 17. 17, they actually have police like lining up so to make sure to control the traffic for a dispensary. Oh, ah, okay. I no, think I, I think they just want to be first yet. in line. I don't I, <laughs> I don't know. I was driving past it and I was I like, why? That. But yep, can in Rochelle Park. <laughs> um so but yeah, exactly. So what now could happen is towns are rezoning areas because they want to control where the marijuana sales are gonna be. Okay. So let's say you're able to um, lobby a town or if you're if you're friends with the mayor and council and you can show them that an area should be changed because it's going to do something better for that area, okay? Having that change done will affect the value of that property. So you could have one simple property, could, it could be a storefront again, that just the way it was before it had very little interest. Nobody really wanted to rent there, there was not much you could do. And all of a sudden a magic wand comes by and now you can have a marijuana dispensary in that pro property and because it's only one of three in this small area, now all of a You're sudden- You're gonna make a ton of money. <clears throat> a ton of money. So you have to be on the lookout for that. How can you change <clears throat> the location? And obviously you can't change the location, you can change what you can do at that location. Okay, so that's number four. I think that pretty much covers all of the options. But there's also the other side of it. You talked about putting properties together. There's also the side of taking properties and subdividing them. You know, getting a, yeah. <clears throat> maybe you're not gonna find it as much here in Northern New Jersey, but if you go up upstate, you know, I have family that has 30, 40 acres. Imagine you can subdivide that into one acre parcels. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you you've added value off, and yeah. you can sell them off or you can build on them and you have a lot of different options there. So again, you're taking a piece of property <clears throat> Like Adam said, you're buying 100 acres, okay, which is, you've seen it all over New Jersey where people buy the farms mm -hmm. and then they take a farm and they divide it into 50 parcels, okay? And all that does is require you to go to a town, get approvals. You're not actually building anything and you're not changing, you know, you're not increasing the money yet because you haven't sold it, but you're just dividing it and creating that, that zoning change. So that's like using two out of the four. And that could make you a ton of money. You could buy 100 acres for, let's say, $500,000 and then you could sell each lot and you could make, you know, two or $3 million. It's yeah. possible. Well, what are my risks? As I asked before, what are the risks? So <clears throat> there are risks in everything. Okay. The great thing about a value add is there are no risks <laughs> is that you're minimizing your risks. Now, okay. depending on where we're going, whether it's commercial or residential, there's always a way to buy something and it's called a contingency. Okay. 
And when you put a contingency in a contract, that contingency allows you to say, if I can't accomplish X, then I no longer have to do Y. So if I can't get the town to agree to change the use, the zoning on this property, then I don't have to buy it, okay? If I can't, another one, if I can't get the neighbor to also sell his house, then I don't have to buy it, right? So what does what does a contingency do? A contingency makes you a less desirable buyer, okay? Right, I was gonna say in this market, does that even work? So when you have contingencies, the reason why sellers accept them is why, Omar? Because you'll probably offer more money. That's right, because you're gonna pay mm. more money. Or they don't have a choice. Or they don't have a choice. Depends on the market, right? But let's say you have a commercial building in a strip, like a downtown strip mall or a downtown that's worth $500,000. But together, when you have five properties, someone can build a 400 unit apartment building. Now that building is, instead of being worth 500,000, it's worth 800,000. So that owner is willing to give you what's called a contingency, okay? So you'll take on the project. It limits your risk, okay? It tie, and you obviously there's usually like a time constraint, so you have a certain amount of months that you can go and get something approved, mm -hmm. but it limits your risk. It allows you to go do something. So your risk in that scenario, Noel, would be your efforts, your time, any approval fees like Omar talked about that you need to get something approved in. But not 50 money. Grand under, no, there would be money there in that scenario because you have to hire attorneys, you have to go yeah. to okay. town, you have to spend a lot of money. A lot of money. But what about like, I, I'm also thinking of risks sort of like that you lose it all, that you're not able to do the <clears> upgrades, <throat> that you're not able to do something like you buy it and then boom, you're not able to do whatever you want on it. Well, that's why it's nice to have the contingency. So if you can't do what you want to, but you can back out. what if you can't out. get a contingency? What if you're looking at residential and you can't get a contingency? Then you just can't do it? So so that's that's a good point. I mean, in, in many cases, when people assemble lots, they already know or at least have an mm -hmm. idea of what the city is going to yeah. will approve. So if you have two lots that are 25 by 25 right next to each other, if you, if you know that the city will approve 24 units for 50 by 100 mm -hmm. and they're rezoning that entire area, then that's a home. Then do it, with, yeah. do it. But let's just talk about your example. So about your house search. So <clears throat> to, to, to help mitigate the risk, you went personally to town I hall. Did. You I talked did. with the building department and you found out, I mean, they can't tell you a hundred percent, but you're pretty confident that you could do what you wanted to on that house. Yep. And I went on and I got the lot sizes and the house size and the percentage of the house to the, to the lot mm -hmm. and all that. And I made sure that everything was under the maximums so that when if we wanted to add that deck or that pool, we were still under the. So you did your due diligence. You yeah. did your homework on the front end. So yeah. we didn't have to put a contingency in. Um, we'd have to put a contingency in, which doesn't make our offer as strong, but still you're very likely to be able to do what you want. So this is something for people that want to put in the footwork. You want to put in you the work. You have to put in the footwork yeah. in right. order to make the money. Nobody, right. you don't make money for free unless you win the lottery. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, and I have a, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm working with a close friend of mine who's looking to buy a home and they have no time to do anything. So mm -hmm. they'll have to pay the premium and buy from someone who put in the work to get the house the way they want. So. Right. But understand what Noel, what Noel did when she went to the town. There's a difference between what's allowed and what could be allowed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have to get you have to pull that flavor out of the people that work in the town, and they're going to say, okay, yes, you could put a deck because you're following what the rules are. Okay, so you don't need a contingency for that. A contingency is for something that is against the rules or different than what the rules are. That you would need a variance that for. That you would need some type of approval for. Ding, 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 ding. Right, I learned that word, yeah. I know it well, variance There's something with now. a question, right? There's no guarantees, and I don't even care if the mayor says, absolutely, you're, absolutely, you're gonna get approved. 
you have to go through the proper channels. There's boards, there's approvals, there's legal things that have to happen. So no matter who tells you what, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Okay. The only way you know it's going to happen is actually when you go through that approval process. And then after you get approved, there's still a 45-day waiting period where the, that town has to advertise this approval and see if anybody really? comes in and objects to it. So typically what happens with a contingency is people don't close until after that approval process is, is after that, that waiting process, period. Mm-hmm. that waiting period is done. Then you know 100% that property is available to do what you want to do with it. That's when, the big, that's when you, make, you know you made your money. So if you were buying a commercial property that only had one tenant, would you still look at that as a value add or would that be too risky? So again, it all depends on what the one tenant is. So if it has one tenant and your thought process Mm -hmm. is I'm going to take this and I'm going to knock the building down. Well, then, yeah. Okay. Or if your thought process is I'm going to take this and divide it up into multiple smaller tenants. Then yes. Or if your thought process is I happen to know that the U.S. post office is looking for a location on this block and this is my location and I'm going to figure out how to get rid of this tenant. So you have to have that back end direction. You don't just buy stuff without any idea. You have to have the idea. But do you too, because you both buy commercial properties, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you guys ever buy one one tenant properties? I sort of know the answer to this for you, but. So I don't even buy one tenant single family houses. Right, you don't even buy single family homes. No, not to rent. One person, you just don't trust them. It could just go south. So it's not just about, um, unless I get at a steep, steep discount, then it's Mm -hmm. worth it. But in New Jersey, between the taxes and the amount that you could charge for rent, it doesn't make sense to hold most single families. And why don't you? So I've done it. Actually, one of my first buildings when I was like 26 years old was a single tenant building. Mm-hmm. And um, I've heard this story before, but I like story. it. So I wanted him to say it. Go so ahead. <laughs> it was probably one of the worst experiences of my life. Because if your single tenant doesn't pay, let's say it's $10,000 a month. Right now you have $10,000 positive cash flow. Okay. And then it's not that you go to zero, right? When that tenant doesn't pay the ten thousand, you go from you go past zero and you go to a negative ten thousand dollar cash flow. So now you have to come up with money every month to pay whatever mortgage or whatever you have. It is extremely dangerous to buy a single tenant property unless you are well funded and well established and you know what you're doing. Now, I made the mistake once. However, I made so much money when I flipped that property that I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go do this again. So I did it again, (laughs) okay? I did it a second time, and let me tell you, I went through hell again on the second time. However, on that second time- You were younger, it takes longer to learn, right? I had more hair, I had, you know, I was skinnier, whatever, I had less stress. I went through hell the second time, and um, the saving grace was, again, I sold that property and I made a ton of money selling that. So both of my single tenant property experiences were fantastic. Oh God! Um, but you don't uh, don't take money, his. When right. it comes to money, but you went through hell for it. But I went through hell, so I will no longer buy what I'm going to call them as big box mm-hmm. scenarios. And anything over like 2,000 square feet for me would be big box in a single tenant philosophy. If I'm going to mm-hmm. buy something with a single tenant and it's like 2,000, it's like one tenant and it's a small little 2,000 square foot thing, that's not a biggie because it's easy to rent stuff like that. I'm talking about 10,000 square feet, 12,000, 20,000, stuff like that. It's harder to get tenants. 
especially let's say if it's a retail versus a warehouse, it all depends on what it is. Well, if you look, when you see, when your neighborhood supermarket leaves, let's say if a supermarket leaves, those supermarket spaces stay open forever. Yes, yeah. They never have anything in it. Or if it's like, you know, I know- An old, an old Kmart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those came out. They, they, they turned one of them into a sporting arena there you because go. Okay. they had no other use for it. What could you but I'm sure they're not for? paying the same amount that Kmart was paying right. per square foot. You never know. It depends on the landlord, but sure. It depends on how many people are vying for that. But it's the same thing. So back to what you were saying about residential too. So commercial and even, even residential is the same way. You know, it's, if you get, if you got a single family home or you get a single condo mm -hmm. and you're using that as an investment property, you're either getting 100% of the rent or 0% of the rent. Yeah. There's no in-between, yeah. really, or yeah. negative. There's really no in-between. So it, that's why, like, if you're buying an investment property, in my opinion, it's best to buy a multifamily. Right. You, you mitigate your risk. So, like, I'm selling right now, I'm selling a multifamily with boarding rooms. Ooh. Legal. It's completely legal. It's registered with the town. Um, so there's three apartments plus five boarding rooms. So now your risk, if one of the boarding rooms leave, you lose $500 a month. Right. As opposed to losing all of it, or if one of the apartments leave, you leave losing you know fifteen hundred or two grand a month. You're not losing all of it it's while we fill it. It's hard for people who are who have established families to think about buying a multifamily property, living in it, and then moving from it. It's like the long term plan, right? You know, right. like I was saying earlier about especially about your first property. If you're in your twenties, you know, and you're buying your first home or something like that, just think about one year of just not ideal living situations because you have neighbors, you're a landlord, you, you just might not want to deal with a lot of that stuff. They come knocking on your door two o'clock in the morning. The, the, there's I no hot water. Right. But you can also get a management company to handle that, especially once you move out. But now just think of the long-term play. You're going to put yourself through, you know, I don't even want to say hell, but you're going to put yourself through it a little bit. And then after that, it's uncomfortable. Right. Exactly. But after a short amount of time, you're going to have an awesome investment that you're going to hold on to. You have very little invested in it. It's a great deal. You're not gonna have this, like I don't have this opportunity again to use an owner-occupied loan unless I sell my house because I live there. So I can't do this again and put down three and a half percent. You could rent your house and then do it. That's the only thing I could do is rent my house. But once again, now it's I'm in the same thing. Right. It's a single, I mean, I could probably in today's market get a lot of money for it, but it's again, a single there's rent. Caveat, there's caveats to everything. We're giving like general specific overviews. Um, everybody has a different risk tolerance. I can't tell you tomorrow that if some amazing single tenant property came along, I wouldn't buy it, but I But your risk you, tolerance is pretty high because you have a lot of experience and you can, your risk tolerance can be higher when you have yes, more experience. but you also have to think smart. And um, I, I love what Adam just said. I love how you, the more tenants you have, the better. It just reduces your stress. So instead of being 100% empty, you're 70% full or you're 50% full. Yeah. It, it always helps stop the bleeding. Because remember when you're at zero, it's not zero. Everybody it's thinks negative. it's zero. It's yeah. not zero. It's negative. Mm -hmm. still have negative. Bills. You still have bills. Still have a mortgage. So let me take this moment just to say to everyone, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you want to hear more amazing, titillating conversation like this one, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. YouTube, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us. You just click the little button and you'll be able to hear us talking about all sorts of things. We bring on guests. Um, we talk about everything from residential to commercial all the way to flipping and burring and investing. We usually have lawyers and mortgage people and just 
everything, everything real estate, guys. So press that subscribe button, and I promise you, you. Can, can we like, can we put like a subscribe button right here? Yes, yeah, so press here that go. subscribe right button here. and I promise you, you will not regret it. Also, this man right here is going to be teaching a class on commercials. So if you want to get in front of him, if you want to be able to talk to him and ask him your burning questions about commercial real estate, you can do so by going to recareercenter.com. And this man, as always, teaches our... <laughs> Teaches our fine fun flip, which is flipping and investing, and our burr class, which is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Okay, that was my commercial. But again, commercial properties are amazing, amazing, amazing place to go. I don't always recommend starting with that. I think getting a, a smaller residential property is, is a great way to start. Doing a small flip is a great way to start. It's all based on your risk tolerance. It's all based on your experience. Reading books are great, but actually trying it, getting involved, getting your hands dirty is really the way to go. Partnerships are also great. Yep. If you're afraid to do it by yourself or if you need someone to kick you off the couch or if you just need that extra capital, go find a partner. Get someone to do it with. Or get a mentor. I mean, we talk, we, we talk about mentorship all the time. Find someone who's done it, who can walk you through it, who, who you can ask questions to. Um, mentorship is so important or just having those people like you always say don't ask Uncle Bernie you know about buying houses if he was a you know if he was I don't know don't ask Uncle Carvel about building a house right right he did ice cream ask Uncle Carvel about ice cream right exactly if you want to open an ice cream store or if you want to open any kind of you know food store you could talk to Uncle Carvel but don't talk to Uncle Carvel about buying a commercial building so we have someone on here who says that this is a very very interesting podcast he loves it and that he Thank wants you. to be able to get in contact with you guys if you guys want to get in contact with any of our panelists feel free to email info at recareercenter.com <laughs> <laughs> info at recareercenter.com and we will definitely patch you through to, to each of them so you can get in touch with them and that goes for the whole world it doesn't matter where you are if you want to contact one of these gentlemen go right on ahead we'll patch you on through we love questions we love teaching um, it's really exciting when you can see that spark light up in somebody else's eye but um, just remember it's not hard to do it you just have to get started you just got to jump in so we can go to our final words, our final words on value-added properties. Just don't, don't be afraid to go for it. That's really it. Just, just, just go for it and just don't pay for somebody else's work. Yeah. That's really it. You're, you know, there, there, there comes a time and a place and there's people like you were saying, you Omar, that you have a client that you're working with that just doesn't have the time to do it. And that's, you know, some people are in that situation. And some, but if you're willing to put up with it, especially in your younger years, do it. Don't be afraid to put in the sweat and don't be afraid to put in the time and to work with the contractors and, and make the property perfect because now you have instant equity. Well, you know, just, just to put it in perspective, <clears throat> we did not want to buy anything that wasn't already... Perfect, that had that upgraded mm -hmm. chef's kitchen. I want a shower that you just press, you know those electronic showers, mm -hmm. Lena? How and you, you set it to 100 and yeah, something. Yeah, and it just yeah. press the button, then it just comes down the right temperature. With the rain shower, my friend Shelly has one. Uh, but, um, yeah. and I loved it. You have good so, <laughs> so, so I wanted all of that, but then from talking to you guys about the house that I didn't get, I was like, well, there were 15 offers on it for the record. But I was like, we are totally going to just get a house without that and we are going to 
But how much more exciting is it doing it this way? Yep. To to be able to personalize it and make it your own. Yes. Every nook and cranny. Everything, the heated floors, everything. I you can do that. And you can you don't have to do it all at once. We could we could have done it over time. And (laughs) you're gonna use probably much better quality components than a builder would have used because they're exactly. going to use builder quality. You're going to use high-end stuff because you're going to live there. Exactly. So you're going to make it last a long time and you're going to be so much happier with the result. So Omar. Final words. Um, so I think uh, all of real estate investing comes down to value add. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking to build wealth in real estate, you're looking to value add in real estate. And um, whether it's renting, flipping, or customizing your own house, it's one of the best ways to build wealth. Excellent. So, my 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 thoughts really on this again, value added properties, very very important way to make money and to reduce your risk. So the trick really is to figure out what the secrets that property has that other people don't know about. And once you figure out what those secrets are, you can learn how to maximize value through taking advantage of those secrets. So you're saying that every property or Properties that you're looking at have secrets that they need to just unveil themselves to you. <laughs> Everybody, every property has secrets. And remember, <clears throat> when you have a close relationship with that property, it mm-hmm. will not have any more secrets. Okay, so having you that will own all those secrets. Having that close relationship, those secrets, that property will just share them with you, and you'll know how to maximize the wealth on those on those secrets. So again, look for the value add. Think outside the box. Step on top of that roof, look down on that property, look sideways on that property, look around look the property, around. Look, look everywhere. Neighbors. Look Talk to the neighbors, exactly. I was just neighbors. Gonna... Look and see what retail is around there. So, well, thank you. Thank well, wait a minute. You. Don't what? talk to the neighbors too much because then you're giving uh, away. So these are secrets that having that close relationship, you know, like Omar and I have a close relationship so that we don't have any <laughs> secrets. You want that? You have that secret that's shared with you. If too many people know the secrets, then it's no longer your secret, and then someone else is going to come in and steal. And they the can steal your ideas. Yeah, yeah. that Just makes be sense. Be careful with that. Be quiet about certain things. Don't share secrets with people that aren't your friends, and make sure you get close to that property so it gives you their value added to So, well, thank you. You were watching the remix. You're going to subscribe, and you're going to join us. And. Remember, if you visualize it, you can own it. If you visualize it, you can own it. Thanks, guys. See you next time.